0: Designing a better future, that's something I get to hear a lot in my work in design and technology. I mean, we assume that design makes things better. It's a process to change existing conditions to preferred or better ones. But what is better? Have a think about it for a moment. It looks a bit strange hanging up there on its own. Is this better? Well, the PET plastic bottle was invented in the 1970s as a way to hold carbonated drinks. It was better than the glass bottles it replaced. It was safer, it was stronger, it was lighter. But we also know that it's much worse. PET plastic may be great for the economy, but it's also terrible for the environment. The plastic bottle is just an everyday example of how design and technology can solve a particular problem, make something better, but make lots of new problems in the process. I'm obsessed with better. I've been collecting examples. I actually wrote a PhD about it because I became so transfixed by this paradox of better. Better is used to sell us everything from water to pizzas to rival political ideologies. But the problem is, is that better isn't the same as good. It has no agenda. It fits any agenda. Better for some, may be worse for others. Better is contingent on people and contexts. So I think it's really important to ask, what is better? Who's better is being delivered in each case? And crucially, who gets to decide? And that's what I've been doing in my work in a very unusual area of design, which we've just had a little introduction to. And that is the design of living matter, synthetic biology. This is a very early example from 2004, engineered by undergraduates who were entering a genetic engineering competition called the International Genetically Engineered Machines, or iGEM. And they designed bacteria that would go dark when exposed to light, like photographic film. And synthetic biology now is far, far ahead of this, and um, scientists are designing bacteria, and fungi, and plants, and pigs, and even humans. And behind all of this are a similar set of motivations, the idea of making a better world. And that shapes what gets made. And so in my work, I tried to find ways to actually question what is better and to look at how those dreams of better affect what gets made. And I'd like to tell you about four different projects where I've experimented with this in different ways over the last 10 years. So the first was back in 2009 when I started working with some students from Cambridge University who were entering that iGEM competition. They designed bacteria um, to produce different color pigments, purple and, in fact, a whole spectrum. It was amazing in one summer. And I was working with another designer, James King, and we wanted to get the students to think about the implications of what they were doing, not the applications per se. So we used futures. One of the things that we did um, in the workshop was to uh, imagine a probiotic yoghurt from the year 2039 would become common to go to the supermarket and buy this drink, and you drink it, and the probiotic bacteria would colonize your gut, and they'd be designed to detect the chemical signals of a range of diseases. And if they detected something, they'd start producing the corresponding colored output. Colored poo. <laughs> Cheap, personalized disease monitoring. Now, we weren't proposing this as a product. James and I made a briefcase, which we called the Scatalogue, and we went off to IJEM with it, and we wanted to show the scientists and engineers and the FBI and the UN bioweapons guy, um, these are the people involved in synthetic biology who are shaping the future of the technology. We wanted to talk about something that we'd noticed as designers, and that was that synthetic biologists were talking about engineering machines. They were talking about code, and that we felt was obfuscating the very messy reality of designing with living things and designing in the body. Now, a strange thing then happened. I've stuck around for a long time in this field. And in uh, five years from that point, we fast forward 2014, a lab at Harvard published this work where they fed engineered bacteria to mice that could detect a chemical signal in the gut. The output wasn't colored, but this was the first step towards making engineered probiotics real. And this was funded by DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, a military funding agency. So something interesting happening here. Did our fiction become real? Well, it's a different thing. There's a science, ours is a fiction. But perhaps our critique was really effective. I saw scientists presenting our work over and over at conferences using it as a design goal. We maybe made the design of Pooh <laughs> like a, a, a thing that you could talk about in public places. But we also potentially help normalise a future of internal biological surveillance, because that original grant, um, the DARPA money, was to protect American intellectual property in a global bioeconomy. Is this better? Who is it better for? And who gets to decide? So this project made me realise there's a problem with this this model, Um, for a start. Imagined futures can shape presents, but it also situates us in a particular point. We're looking forward from one viewpoint into the future where we can only choose between multiple possible futures, which one is better. And I think that denies us agency to make change in the present where we need to make changes. I think reality looks more like this. Futures, dreams of better futures and better past affect the present. Just think of make America great again, for example. But also, our multiple visions of what is better, which are contingent on every sort of experience we have all day, um, coexist alongside each other. We are, and often uncomfortably so. So I'm more interested in how we think about how futures and past affect the present and how we find ways to actually mine through this complexity and better negotiate those differences moving forward. So I'm going to talk about a few projects where I start to do this. And this first one brings pasts into futures. So I was very lucky to go to this conference where synthetic biologists and conservationists were meeting for the first time. And these are people who you wouldn't normally find in a room together. And I was really struck by their different visions of what is better. The conservationists were looking backwards, trying to stop Um, human influence on biodiversity. Meanwhile, the synthetic biologists were looking forward, trying to invent new biodiversity for the benefit of that same humanity. Meanwhile, the sixth great extinction in the history of biology is underway, and humans are causing it. And one of the things that came up in this meeting was, could synthetic biology design organisms to infect nature to save it? And by that, they mean things like designing coral that could withstand warmer waters. I was amazed, what would the wilds look like in this this future, and who would get to decide? So I created an imagined world to start to explore these issues. And this is designing for the sixth extinction. That's how it looks in the gallery. And as you start to look closer at this very pristine forest, you start to notice strange things lurking in the undergrowth. And these, in this fiction, are companion species that have been designed to preserve existing biodiversity. I describe them only as machines, using the language of patent applications. So this is the self-inflating, antipathogenic membrane pump, a kind of fungus that would inject serum into a tree that's been infected with a very real disease called sudden oak death, for which there's no known cure at the moment. Now, these are fictions, but I tether them to reality by taking very real things from synthetic biology to make them recognizable to synthetic biologists. So for example, DNA currently, we're all made of DNA that runs on a four-letter code, A, T, C, and G. These would run on a six-letter code. So they would run on a different operating system to natural nature, whatever that is a bit like Windows versus Mac. And that's a very real idea that's being researched in synthetic biology as a way um, it's proposed that it could make it safer to release organisms into the wild. So I took past trends and um, histories and ecology and policy and synthetic biology to make an imagined future to make a possible world to to start to explore the problems and issues that these ideas would raise. For example, if we industrialize nature completely, will it still exist to save? So This is not meant to be a desirable or prediction of a future. But what gets really interesting for me is when my work starts to infiltrate back into the science. So I was really happy when the the editors of this um, fine journal, Fungal Genetics and Biology, um, used the project on the cover to get their readers to think about what they might design. Fictional futures can disturb the path of the present. And that experience helped me to really kind of think about, well, how can we use time in a different way? Instead of just thinking about futures, how do we actually, if our aim is to change the present, how can we operate in different ways? So I'm going to share with you two new projects that are um, in development that are going to be exhibited next year, which I'm really excited about. And um, I'm using time in a different way. In this first one, I'm using past, the past to disturb the present. So I'm working with um, Christina Agapakis, who um, is part of a biotech company called Ginkgo Bioworks in Boston, and the smell researcher and artist, Cicel Tolas. And we are resurrecting the sublime. Um, we're going to try to, if that's possible, because it's really tricky. So Ginkgo have been sequencing DNA from extinct plant specimens at the Harvard University herbarium, taking tissue and then taking out DNA from those things. And these are all plants that went extinct in the 19th century due to human activities, farming or dam building. Human dreams of better made these things die out. Ginkgo are then doing genetic engineering to begin to identify the smell molecules that these plants may have produced. So then we can begin to imagine what they may have smelled like. The problem is we're not trying to de-extinct these things because the plant is gone, but so is the landscape and, crucially, the relationship between the two. My problem with this idea that you can bring things back is, well, what's the point? If the landscape if its habitat is gone, if its context is gone, what is this piece of biology? So we're instead doing something slightly different. We're using biotechnology to try to evoke a feeling of loss. And that, to me, gets closer to this philosophical idea of the sublime, of nature's contingency and awesomeness. So we're designing these installations, which will be in a few places around the world next year, where you will go in and you'll get to experience a fleeting glimpse of these lost landscapes through smell and touch. And I'm really excited about this, because what we're doing is essentially reaching into the past to help us think about what we value in the present. And for me, this is a different way of thinking about biotechnology and its potential. And finally, I'm going to talk about a different project, which instead of using pasts, um, is using multiple parallel futures as a way to think about the present. Um, And this ties very nicely, because Lynn, who spoke just before, I had no idea she'd be here. And we're working together on this. She's consulting. Because I'm planning to wild Mars. Um, I thought, I finished my PhD. I should do something useful. Um, But I have a real problem with this talk of colonizing Mars. So the idea is Mars will be the backup planet and we'll make it better, we'll make it more Earth-like. I think for a start, that's problematic because that means the Earth is going the way of Mars. We're just going to trash this planet and go somewhere else. But also, things like colonizing don't have a very good reputation for being better for everyone involved, including nature. And I find it really weird that this is the word that we're using to talk about this. And Lynn talked a bit about this idea of indigenous life forms that may be on Mars. So I'm proposing something different. Also controversial. I'm going to wild Mars, seed the planet with biology, but it's not for humans. Humans will never go there. This is a garden without a gardener. Is that the ultimate unnatural act for humans to put biology, make a repository for life elsewhere, and let it get on with its own thing? So Mars will become, Mars will take life in a different direction, and life may take Mars in a different direction. So this project is just beginning. these are some very first images that were made last week in the studio. What we're going to do is to run a multiple parallel simulation where we will while we'll see the planet, and you'll get to see all the contingency unfold, all the different ways that it could go. So these images are the things we're making to talk to experts like Lynn, where we're starting to say, well, what are the parameters for this? Is there anything that we could start seeding with? And the idea is to talk about Mars as not better, but different to think about this idea of, of otherness. And by showing the multiple contingency that's possible within the mechanism of life, will we start to think about and reflect on our own decisions about our own planet um, in a way that is better? So I've talked a bit about um, how humans dream of better. And I think that there's um, an especially fascinating problem where we have promised that things will be better and that People have the kind of the panacea for this problem, but we never actually define what that is. Better is actually something that we each hold that changes at each moment, and what we make is affected by our dreams of better pasts and better futures. So I'm, in my work, trying to find ways to uncover that set of problems and to kind of bring attention to it. Because I think, crucially, if we're imagining that we can make better worlds, and I still think that's a good ambition to improve things, we really need to... Um, question first. What's at stake? What is better? Who's better? And who gets to decide? Thank you.